Okay, we are currently doing a study on the book of Romans, as you know, and we are now in chapter 8. And of course, just by way of review, the book of Romans has been, um, uh, it's been centered on our great plan of salvation, right? And there's two main parts of that. One is the gift of justification that happens in a moment in time when we receive his gift and God declares us righteous because of what Jesus did at the cross by his blood. And therefore, we can stand before God in confidence. Even though maybe we're sinful, we have been made, uh, we've made, we've been made righteous. And so that's a big gift. And then we started looking at the process of sanctification starting around chapter six. And that's the process of becoming holy. In other words, God doesn't just want to justify us, declare us righteous, but he also wants to begin to transform us and uh, becoming more and more conformed to his image, becoming Christ-like in all that we say and do and think. And so that's the process of sanctification. Now in Romans 8, because we've been here for probably four or five weeks, we've been talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And probably two things in particular that I just want to remind us of. One is the need to walk in the Spirit or according to the Spirit. And that happens only as we begin to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. On the other hand, if we are setting our mind on the things of the flesh, we're going to walk according to the flesh. So walking by the Spirit is a very important thing of what we've been talking about. And then for those who are being, who are walking by the Spirit, we then are being led by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and that's, um, uh, and, and then he goes on and says, and those who are being led by the Spirit are called the sons of God. So we've kind of seen three things. We've seen children of God. And, and, and there's a lot of overlap here. I, I, I realize that. But just to simplify it, children of God refers to those who are genuinely born again, been born from above. We're children. And then as we begin to grow, develop a relationship with him, as we begin to be led by the Spirit, what happens? We are then called the sons of God. And that's a process that happens uh, parallel with the sanctification process. And then we also saw that we're also called heirs of God or the sons of God. They are going to be heirs of God. And that's receiving everything that God has for us. And of course, a lot of that refers to that which we'll uh, begin to experience in the next age. But some of it actually begins to start happening. It begins to uh, happen here in this life. Okay, so today we're going to look at verses 18 through 30. And let's just kind of read verse 18 here real quick. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And this next section just is talking about the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And, you know, glory is one of those words that it's kind of hard to give a good definition. Uh, here's one. It's, it's uh, incomplete, but at least can give us some idea of what we're talking about. God's glory is the fullness of God overflowing. 
And one of the things that God has promised uh, throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament in a different way is, is that there's going to be a day when this earth is going to be filled with his glory. Now, um, the Old Testament does talk about God's glory. Uh, you know, Isaiah and Isaiah's chapter six talks about, you know, seeing God's glory. Part of one of the more interesting times is uh, Moses. You know, he he had a conversation with God. You can probably read it in uh, chapter 34 of Exodus and, and then really kind of going over the next few ch chapters. But uh, Moses really wanted to see God face to face. He wanted to see his glory. And of course, God's response was, oh, no, no, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, it's just, it'd be too much for you. And, but he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock up here. And tomorrow I'm going to kind of pass by. You'll be able to see my back and you'll be able to see my glory. But it's interesting seeing the presence of God and seeing God's glory are used interchangeably in, in, in this whole section of scripture. And, uh, and there are other times when Moses, when he would go up to be with the mountain for the, with the Lord for an extended period, or after the tabernacle was built, he would spend time in the tabernacle talking with God as a friend, it says. And uh, there were times that God's glory, just being, just talking to God, God's glory would be so strong on Moses that when he came out, his face would just shine. And they would literally have to put a bag over his uh, head for a few days until that glory began to fade away. Because again, people just couldn't, they just couldn't even look at it. It was so bright. So that's a, an example of God's glory. Now, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're, just, we're still just kind of talking about God's glory here. Uh, uh, Paul brings up this whole thing about what happened with Moses. And, uh, and basically, he's kind of saying that, you know, yes, there was glory associated with the giving of the law. The, there was glory associated with Moses. But you know what? That glory doesn't even begin to compare with the glory that God promises he's going to place on us. Those who receive the new covenant. Now, a lot of that hasn't happened yet, obviously. Uh, but it's something that's going to be happening. And let's just kind of just jump down to verse 15. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says, But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Kind of referring to kind of the veil that was over Moses' uh, face. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And of course, we know that, you know, with the Holy of Holies. The veil that separates us was taken down and so therefore we can enter into the holy of holies the very presence of god verse 17 now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty and then verse 18 is the one i really want to look at but we all with unveiled face because we can go into the presence of god anytime beholding as in a mirror the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. So what is he saying there? That one of the things that's happening now, as we spend time with the Lord, we are being transformed 
from glory to glory. It's almost like different steps of glory are taking place as we are transformed and transformed specifically into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So this is part of the glory that is coming. And we're told, going back to Romans 8, in this next passage, starting in verse 18, that we are going to be glorified with him. In other words, not are we just going to see his glory, but we're actually going to be glorified because we're, the presence of God is just going to come upon us and it's going to reside on us for all of eternity. Now, again, a lot of that is in the next stage, but part of that begins to kind of take place here. And so being glorified with him, we see that you can look at this later, but verse 17, verse 18, verse 21, verse 30, all speak of our being glorified. And it's not just a, a, a theme that we kind of see here in Romans 8. It's all throughout the New Testament. For example, Titus chapter 2. I'm just going to read a few of these just real quick. We can kind of get a, a, an idea. Um, Titus 2 verse 13. It says, Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called our God and Savior. And it says we're looking forward to this hope. We're looking forward to the appearing of his glory. First uh, Peter, actually First Peter talks a lot about this. So I'll, I'll, use a, I'll look at a couple of verses. First Peter 1, verse 5 says, Who are protected by the power of God through faith, for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's going to be something revealed at the last time. It's his full salvation. Or as we continue to read in First Peter, it's another way of saying that is his glory. Verse 7, so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus is revealed, or as Romans 8 says, at the time of the revealing of the sons of God, that's when his glory will fill this earth and fill us. We will be glorified. First uh, Peter 4, verse 13. It says, um, but to the but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. But I like that. At the revelation of his glory. Or chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. See, there's a coming glory. And when will this take place? When Jesus returns for us, when we see him face to face, because at that time, that transformation process will be made complete and we will be filled with his glory. We will see the fullness of his glory and then too, we shall shine in glory as well. So when does this happen or, 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 or what all happens at this time? We've talked about this before, but let me just kind of just give a, 
uh, repeat a few things. And, and most of this is in Romans 8 in the passage we're going to be looking at. First of all, we are set free from the flesh. We've talked about this for the last um, probably month in Romans 7, Romans 8, is that we are, we are confined to the human flesh with all its weakness and all its, you know, uh, uh, yeah, just weakness and tendency to go towards sinfulness. And, but there's going to be a time when Jesus and his glory is revealed that we're going to be set free from the flesh. There's going to be the formal adoption as sons when this takes place. Yes, as we mature in him, we're called sons and daughters. But the formal adoption of where we are like him in all ways takes place when his glory is revealed. The redemption of our bodies. And we've talked about that too, where our bodies who in this life are confined to the flesh they are confined to mortality, that there's going to be a day that there will be no, our bodies won't be sick anymore. They won't get hurt. They won't get tired. They won't get sick. In fact, they won't even die. We will live forever and ever. That's the redemption of our bodies. And when does that happen? At the revelation of his glory. And then the whole comp completion of the sanctification process that we've been talking about for the last, um, Six or seven sessions. God is changing us. He's transforming us. Sometimes it seems really slow. Part of the reason is we're confined to the flesh. But on the day of the, re of the revelation of his glory, it's going to be complete. Our sanctification. We will be glorified. The presence of God will be upon us. It will reside on us. Now, according to Romans 8, it's clear that yes, there's going to be suffering into that time. Why? Because we are part of this world that's, well, we're in the flesh, but also this world that's full of sin and corruption and injustice and all that, you know. So we need to kind of know that in this lifetime, there's going to be suffering. But the suffering of this time is not to be, it doesn't even compare with the glory that is going to be revealed. Let's, let's go back to Romans 8. Let's just kind of read. Let's kind of go back to 17. And then we'll read verse 18. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. It says, yeah, we, we have to suffer. And then verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So yes, his glory is coming and yes, we have suffering and you know, from our point of view, some people go through enormous amounts of suffering and tragedy, but compared to the God's glory being revealed and our being partakers of that, it just, it seems to kind of pale in comparison. Second Corinthians chapter four kind of talks about this. Second um, Corinthians chapter four, maybe start, well, maybe we'll just look at verse 17 and 18. It says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Again, the 
affliction that goes on here compared to this eternal weight of glory, in other words, this, this glory that's going to be for all of eternity, seems very momentary. And it seems light compared to what is coming our way. And then it kind of goes on and says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, what we have to do in this lifetime, in this world of suffering, we need to keep our eyes on the things that are eternal, such as God's glory, and get our eyes off the things that are temporal, like a lot of the suffering that's going on. And actually, as we kind of read through this, we see that all of creation, it's not just us, but all of creation is eagerly waiting. That's what it says in verse 9, 19. And, and it groans, it says in verse 23, for this time of glory. We are waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. That's us. Let's, let's kind of just read through this passage, 18 through 25. Romans 8, 18 through 25. We've been talking about this, but now I think it's going to make a lot more sense. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, talking about this age, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's in this next age when Jesus comes back. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So part of this hap this coming glory is, is associated also, and it happens at the same time, as the revealing of the sons of God. We have full sonship at that time. I like that phrase, the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together into now. And not only this, but we... But also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. That's what we've been talking about. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Okay. Um, so it says, not only this, but we're not only we longing for the glory, but we actually groan and all of creation too. And three times it uses that uh, phrase, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, eagerly waiting for the redemption of our bodies, eagerly waiting for the coming glory of God. And, uh, and again, you see that verse 19, verse 23, verse 25. And it's not just us, but it's all of creation as well. Yes, we live in a world where suffering, injustice, and pain are present. But we all will be set free entirely 
at the time of glory, at the revelation of the sons of God, when Jesus comes back. And that is our hope, as it says here. It's And uh, actually in Hebrews, it says, that's the hope that's the anchor to our soul. It keeps our soul from just bouncing around from one place to another. Meanwhile, while we walk through this earth, we hope. And we do so with perseverance. That's what it's saying here. We eagerly await. And then it says, we'll all rejoice. Because there's finally the revelation of His glory. And when I say we all will rejoice, even God's creation will uh, rejoice. I mean, it's, it's so amazing, this event of the revelation of the sons of God, the, uh, the uh, revelation of His glory, that all of creation is going to be, you know, uh, excited and jumping up and down. I mean, I mean... Believe me, I'd like to kind of go into this. We don't have time to do this now, but um, just look at Isaiah 55, verse 12. And there's so many other places that talk about this. About, well, let's just kind of read verse 12, Isaiah 55. For you will go out with joy and be led with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. This isn't just speaking allegorically because it's kind of repeated in many different ways. There's going to be a time at the revelation of His glory when the trees are going to be clapping their hands. The mountains are going to be shouting. There's going to be creations actually going to be dancing, it says in one place. That ha- that's how big this event is that's coming. The coming glory of God. Okay, let's kind of look at verse 26 and 27. Because now we talk about, we're going back to present. We've been kind of looking at, oh yeah, this coming glory is going to be glorious. You know, it's, uh, but there is, we still are living here the rest of our lives. And, and that's one of the reasons God has given us his spirit. So let's just kind of take a look at this. Verse 26, it says, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. Anyone feel weak? Yeah, we all have at times, right? Well, the Spirit helps us in these times as we yield to Him. So the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Actually, I kind of like that. You know, uh, he helps us in our weaknesses and he intercedes for us constantly according to God's will. Now, that's important because that may mean it's not always according to our agenda or our timetable, but according to the plans that he has made for us. He's interceding for us. He's helping us. And uh, that's it's just, it's beautiful. It really is. That's while we walk through this earth that yes, there's injustice and suffering and pain and things we don't understand. But one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help us and intercede for us that we can persevere in this time and keep our eyes on the hope, you know, on the coming glory. Okay, and then in verse 28, a verse that 
many of us are very familiar with. And we know, you know, this is and it's connected to the whole whole thing about the spirit and all that, you know, helping us in our weakness, interceding for us. And we know, go down here, that God causes all things, not some things, but all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't say that God is the author of all these things, but it does say that he causes all these things to work together, even when I don't see it, even when I don't understand it, maybe sometimes even when I don't agree with it. And this can be very comforting to us. It's, 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 it's a beautiful truth that we need to hold on to. Do you love God? Are you called according to his purposes? We're going to see in a few minutes that yes, you do probably. You know, if you've been truly born again, then this verse, this principle applies to you. But it's something we need to walk in faith in. Okay, let's look at the last two verses here. Verses 29 and 30. Beautiful two verses kind of show his great design for our lives. Let me kind of read them here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become formed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. It tells us that God has had us in mind all along. It starts off by saying, he has foreknown us. And what does that mean? Well, God has foreknowledge. And basically that means he knows things before they happen. Because he's the God of eternity, right? He's not limited to time. And he had us in mind since the foundation of the world, we're told, in other places. In other words, he was thinking about you. He was dreaming about what you would look like and how you would, how your life would evolve and what your purpose in, in life would be. He knew exactly what generation you'd be born into. All that. That is his foreknowledge. And we also know that God doesn't make mistakes. You know, it's not like, oops, I accidentally created her. Oh, no, wow, him. Uh, yeah, I kind of messed up on him. No, it's not that way at all. He knew us from way back and he was designing our life. Then it says he predestined us. I mean, he gave us a destiny from before. And what is that destiny? To be conformed to the image of Jesus. It says it real clear here. Now, yes, we have a free will. But God, in his foreknowledge, saw us and he began planning out and working out things to, to, uh, to help conform us to his image, to work his purposes in our life. And that's a hard concept to get. But he, he designed it all. I mean, think about it. Our family, the family that we were born into. You know, sometimes I've talked to people, I wish I wasn't born in that family. Well, you know what? God has a re had a reason for you to be born into the exact family that you were a part of. You couldn't control it, you know, and God doesn't make a mistake. He knew 
who our siblings would be. He knew our birth order, that you could be the firstborn or the thirdborn or whatever it is. You know, uh, he knew all that. He knew what type of family, you know, what language they'd be speaking, what the economic status was, you know, what, uh, where you were living. And, uh, and again, sometimes I talk to Christians and say, well, you know, it's almost like they resent, you know, how they grew up. You know, you know, I, I grew up really poor. You know, I wish I'd been born rich and had the opportunities that so-and-so has. But God knew ahead of time, foreknew you, and he knows exactly, he's known exactly what you needed in growing up to be who he has called you to be. And we have to, we, we receive that by faith and we rejoice in it. Our physical makeup, whether you're tall or small or, you know, uh, or your ears are crooked or, you know, or, you know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it says that even our, the hairs of our number, uh, the hairs of our head are numbered. You know, he knows he knew whether you're going to be blonde or redheaded or, you know, brown or black headed. You know, he knew he knew what race we were going to be. He actually knows even, you know, how much hair. And in my case, I'm kind of losing it. You know, some people kind of lost a lot of it, you know, and uh, he knew all that and he doesn't make mistakes, you know, our limitations, you know, uh, uh, sometimes we're born with limitations physically and, but that's okay too. In fact, he knew what jobs we'd be introduced to, the churches that we would have opportunity to get involved in and committed. And then of course, marriage, kids, your co-workers, and of course, as we give our life to Christ, some of that, he wants us to partner with him in the fact that we're praying, Lord, who do you want me to marry? You know, uh, you know, what job should I be a part of? And you know, all those types of things. Whether or not you're living in the United States or somewhere else, you know, for those who are part of Emmanuel Fellowship, uh, God has brought people from literally around the world. You know, in fact, when I gave this message on Sunday, I said, how many of you were born in another country? Over half the congregation was born in another country, you know, and yet God sovereignly brought, in some cases, didn't even ask their permission. You know, he brought them to uh, the United States in the same locality, and then he formed us together as a church. So, see, the point is, he weaves all things together for his purposes. Sometimes we don't even know what his purposes are. And especially before we actually came to, to know him in a personal way. But he was, he's had a destiny predestined for us. He's called us, it goes on. We actually talked about that before, but remember in verse 28, it says he works he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. If you're genuinely following God, you're called to his purposes. He justified us. Well, we've talked a lot about that in Romans. And then it says he glorified us, you know. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. You know, it's written in the past tense. And I used to be kind of concerned about that. You know, was that a mistake that God made? And then I realized is that from God's eternal point of view, he's speaking as if it had already happened. Because in his mind, it has happened. He has glorified us. 
because he's been thinking of us, the whole picture of us, since the foundation of the world. And somehow there's just something really reassuring, comforting me when I begin to see that God sees my life from an in completely different point of view. And so I think verses 29 verse 30 is how God views us from his eternal point of view. Remember, we're still subject to this thing called time. Sometimes it gets in our way. Sometimes it goes too fast. Sometimes it goes too slow for us. But we are, we're trapped in it or we are subjected to it might be a better way to put it. And, uh, and at least for this lifetime. But God is not. Well, I think one of the things we're kind of seeing in Romans is that he has done so much for us. I mean, just kind of think about it. We talked about justification. I mean, that in itself would be worth the book of Romans, just understanding that gift of justification. But then he kind of takes us into the uh, process of sanctification. And then he starts kind of moving into Romans 8. He wants us to walk according to the spirit. He wants us to be led by the spirit. He wants us to be sons of God. He wants us to be heirs. We're going to share that great inheritance we talked about last time. And now, today we're talking about, and in the future, there's a coming glory, the revelation of his glory, the revelation of the sons of God. And we will be totally, 100% glorified with him. So it's almost like every week we keep seeing more and more that God has done for us. Actually, uh, the next passage starts off, what shall we say to these things? This is verse 31. If God is for us, who is against us? You know, in other words, he's done all this for us. You know, surely he's going, he's prepared all of it. Surely he's going to work it out in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for this wonderful plan of salvation. What, what, what you've done for us. And so much of it was because of what you did at the cross. You justified us. You're in the process of sanctifying us. You're, you've given the Holy Spirit to us to walk by, to be led by. You are preparing us for sonship. Lord, you are, you've called us heirs. And Lord, we get just a little bit in this passage of the coming glory, the revelation of your glory, the revelation of your sons and daughters. That's us. Lord, work these truths into our hearts that we truly can understand them. Thank you, Lord. Amen.